I think it's really difficult to make a lot of money by like following rules. I broke, I broke so many rules. Here's a problem though, Spencer. This is the problem that we're in right now because you're an investor in chamber stays. Yep. And we are in a tough spot with finishing these hotels. The problem is I have always been rewarded for reckless and like disorderly behavior. Mm. <laughs> disorderly conduct. Yeah. Has almost always been, been given me a reward. Welcome to Lessons in Leverage, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of success. We'll help you unlock the secrets of leverage so you can amplify your impact in the world. Here's your host, Spencer Lowe. Welcome to another episode of Lessons in Leverage. Today, I'm joined by a good friend of mine, Travis Chambers. Travis is the founder of Chamber Media, a company he grew and helped sell for a lot of money, uh, millions of dollars, and then subsequently started a company called Chamber Stays, which is one of the coolest companies out there right now doing otherworldly stays. And I'll, I'm excited to get into both those with you. But Travis, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me, dude. Like That's the most cliche way I could respond to that. Yeah, that's. I think that's what you're supposed to do. I'm supposed to say thanks for coming. You're supposed it's to say thanks so for It's so annoying to just me. say what you're supposed to say in a societal norm. That's so fair. It's frustrating to me. So I don't, don't want to say thank you for let's having me. Let's try it again. Let's try it again. Let's try it again. Let's try it again. Travis, thanks for being here. Hell yeah, I'm here. That's right. Let's okay. do this. <laughs> I'm here, Bia. <laughs> you can know. swear on the podcast. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do what you want to do. So, I can't, no, I have a rule. I won't swear in public until my grandma passes away. Oh, okay, that's I just fair. don't want to disappoint her. She's pioneer blood and i she's a sweet angel soul who is kind of a little senile and she's getting ready for the other side i just i can't bring her down there's no reason to to send her out with a, no. a b word no know? no no she's, she's gonna feel like things are safe that's fair it goes you have a legacy after that though i'm dropping f-bombs on every podcast i can just kidding <laughs> just kidding all right man well we're gonna do more of a free-flowing format today more of a conversational style but I wanted to start out and uh, talk a little bit about a couple of key parts of your journey so like I've actually never never heard how you decided to start chamber stays and I want to just spend or not sorry not chamber stays chamber media the first company that you built and one of the things we're trying to do with this podcast is highlight when people wake up to the fact that maybe they're not playing a game that is going to get them what they deserve what they want because if you're playing low leverage games, you can't really get big outcomes. And so at some point you were out there just working in marketing, packing your way onto Forbes 30, uh-huh. uh, 30 uh, under 30. And uh, you realized, like, I got to go do something on my own. Tell me about thought, how you got okay. to that. I thought, okay, I, I never thought I was an entrepreneur. And I never, that thought never, my grandpa was a farmer. My dad was a sales executive, right? Yeah. So I was going to follow my dad's path and I was going to do the corporate route because like, why would you start a business and like lose sleep at night and ruin your life? Right. That's, that's for other people. Yeah. For so sure. That's not us. That's not like chamber. That's not what we do as chambers. Right. Mm. But when I was in college, looking back, I was doing entrepreneurial stuff instinctively. Mm. So like started a painting company. Why? Cause I was like, I'm not going to go wait tables. I'm not going to go waste my time on a non-skill thing. And any skilled internship is like $10 an hour. So I'm like, no, no, no. No, I need to make more money. Yeah. So the only way I can go make more money is I got to start something. Because no one's going to give me money. Because I don't have any skills. I don't know anything yet. Yeah. But I started a painting company and, you know, I did six months of that. And it, like, didn't really make money. It didn't really lose money. It, like, supported me there for six go. months. 
with my thousand dollar a month living costs and i put on benefit concerts put on parties at our frat fraternity house we were the only dry fraternity house in the country that i know of at least and so we'd have thousand people come through and then we'd go rent a houseboat in lake powell with the the money from that and then i started uh mma fights i like went to jujitsu a few times saw this movie called warrior and i was like this is cool i want to do something like this but I'm too fragile to fight, so I'm just gonna like put on fights. That makes sense. The fight business, and um, dude, two thousand people showed up to the first one. I just went crazy on the guerrilla marketing, flyered cars in football game parking lots, got chased off by the cops. People could get free tickets if they invited like two hundred people to the event on Facebook. So in the town of Logan, hundred thousand people. We had two thousand people invited on Facebook. No, sorry, no, it was like six thousand people invited. And 2,000 people showed up. That's awesome. But I screwed up on operations because I suck at operating businesses <laughs> and did not even count what our capacity was. Didn't even pay attention to that. Lost our venue like two weeks before. I scrambled and found a new one. And we could only fit like 800 people in there. Well, 2,000 people showed up. So, <laughs> But anyways, so I, this whole time, it's never like dawning on me that I'm an entrepreneur. I'm still planning on going and getting a job, raising a family with a white picket fence and get a first job, just a boring, normal marketing job. And then we have this vi video go viral, takes us to LA, all of a sudden at the, the top creative agency in the world had, that I had written on my mirror that I was going to go work at, working there for a year, year and a half. And then the moment that I realized was when I read this book called The Seven Day Workweek, mm. or what is it called? No, four hour work. Four week. hour work week. There you go. <laughs> four hour Same work thing. Week. Seven days. I think you're th you're too focused on what you're doing now. The seven, seven day, day work day week. Day. <laughs> Not enough on four. what you what you thought entrepreneur entrepreneurship was going to be. The four hour work so, week. So I read this book, and for some reason, I'm like, oh, like I could just go, like obviously this four hour work week thing is a complete lie. Like this doesn't. It's exist. It's really good marketing. It doesn't exist, but. But that's, that was kind of the, the light bulb moment. And then I went to 20th Century Fox because they had a work from home type setup. And it was just a disaster. Daughter was born. Dad was getting divorced. It was just a big old freaking mess. And I after three months, they let me go because I sucked. And that's when I was like, I don't know. I was like, well, I'm just going to try and start something. And I had some two of two of the old agency guys I started with, and we called it one in the chamber. It was their idea, and I'm like, I hate this, guys. They're like, we're doing it, one in the chamber. And we went like three months with no clients. And I just the plan was we'll take three months. I had like fifteen grand of severance. I still have no idea why those guys gave me severance <laughs> after only being there for three months. That's pretty messed up. Like corporate HR policy. But dude, fifteen grand for me? I was like loaded yeah because we're living paycheck to paycheck 80 grand in la yeah no 15 grand gives you a real runway I'm like we got three months babe we could do this yeah and it was like three and a half months in that we got a sixty thousand dollar client you know it's i don't think it's i don't think that that's accidental like there is certainly a relationship of like it takes time to do something mm -hmm. there's also something about like oh shit if i don't do something it's like over, like game time, mm -hmm. money's running out. Mm -hmm. Now what? Some of the best work happens under those constraints. I know for me, like 
when I first started my company, the first few months, I was just like dreaming big, all the things we could do. Mm-hmm. And then I saw my savings just getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And I was like, oh, I really got to go put money into this account. Mm-hmm. And I got to do it soon or mm-hmm. I'm going to be screwed. And whole demeanor changed over the next few months, started to get traction. So I think there's there's definitely something to the fact that when the money gets tight and you sharpen that focus, great things happen. It's probably why rich kids don't make it. Yeah, it could be. Everyone thinks, right, that rich rich people are rich kids. Yeah. It's usually it's like statistically false. There's a there's a very big like online narrative right now of like everyone that's successful got so lucky. And there's no doubt tons of luck in any success yet. Uh, no, the truth is is if the funny is the funny thing is how often the people who really do start with it all fail suck. Yeah. and lose it and squander it all. The truth is is rich kids don't start stuff because they're already rich. Yeah. That's kind of the point. Yeah. They don't start they don't do anything. They don't do anything. I'm sure some do, but yeah, I think on average. They dabble. There's there's a lot that, but that don't. They have a trust fund and they I don't know what they do. But they well, don't. They don't. The stats go out. are within three generations. They make sure that trust fund's gone. But if you're already rich, why would you go like build a company? Like what? There's nothing to prove. There's nothing. There's no. Right when you're poor, yeah, broke ass twenty one year old, you're like, am I gonna make it in this world? Am I smart? Dude, Alex Ormosi always talks about how like there's these three things. They did this big study of successful people, and one of the three things is this crippling insecurity that they're never gonna be good enough. Yeah, and. uh I think you could find that in some rich kids, but definitely. I mean, aren't, aren't all the great athletes just wildly insecure? Probably. Gordon Ryan, he's like the jujitsu champ. He like can't handle being bullied online. Like he can't handle it. Like he posts and fights people. I mean. John Jones. You can. John Jones, best fighter probably ever walked the face of the earth. And he cannot handle people making fun of him. He so, can't handle it. Shout out to if you're feeling insecure, you know, that can, uh, it can be a driving force. <laughs> so, okay. So, so we're talking then we get through people you, you are get fragile, to that point where, where you're insecure, you're, you're up against the wall, you're running out of severance. So, okay. You get your first client. at For, First thing is I'm at, I'm at this creative agency. I read this book and I'm like, Oh, well maybe I could get like some side work. We're living paycheck to paycheck. Um, so I'm like, I, I somehow found this sock company and all of a sudden I was doing <laughs> marketing for socks okay on the side and really you know what i mean i dude and i I really still wasn't very skilled like the kobe versus Messi thing i did most viral out of all time i just like found really good contractors Mm -hmm. like i didn't really i just put the pieces together yeah and that's that's how i've always been i don't really excel at an extreme level at like any one thing that's bullshit but I'll I'll take it. I'll okay. take it at you are good at putting a lot of things together. I'm just a but, producer. I can but produce. But you do have I just, a very good vision I, for a creative. I can scrap things together, maybe. You finally get a client. So st- that's how I started. Was that chamber. where you finally started to realize, hey, maybe I'm an entrepreneur. Maybe I can play yes. a bigger stage. Yeah. Where, where was that break in your mind where you're like, you stopped identifying with like, I'm just a guy who's on a corporate journey and maybe I can make, do some side stuff to I like, just, hey, I actually can build something. I just, I was drinking the Kool-Aid. Right. I was drinking the Kool-Aid about this, this entrepreneurial life thing. And this was at the t- period where a lot of people are starting to blow up in e-commerce. Mm. And before then, I had always just had this perception and I got it from my dad that if you want to start a company, you just have to have a lot of money. Mm. And truth be told, before the Internet scaled 
before the internet became fast enough for e-commerce platforms to exist, that was kind of true, mm. right? Like, I'll ask you this. What company would you start pre-internet? All service-based. Would all be home services, roofing, mechanics. You need, a, you need a trade or a skill, and then I would, you'd have to be willing to hit the doors and go sell. Yeah. But that's, do you realize how big of an insight that is, though? Yeah. The start with the service thing. And that was the second book I read, was start with, with a, was a $100 startup. Mm. And I want to rip off that book, and I already have written 100 pages for a book mm. called Start With a Service. And it's a ripoff of that book. Mm. But the difference is that book is like a study of like 50 entrepreneurs that started with service. My book is a study of myself. Mm. This is how I actually, I read this book, read these stories. This is how I did it. This is how it worked for me. Mm. But dude, it, it came down to like, I was in social media, right? And I was a glorified social media post poster, posting scheduler. Nice. Because at the agency, I wasn't allowed to write copy. The creatives had to write the copy. Mm. I wasn't allowed to like make the assets. The uh, art, the art directors had to make the assets. So what was my real value? I was like, I was providing them with like insights and decks and strategic stuff. But like most of the stuff we were doing was complete waste of time. Mm. Like they put all in this work to get tweets that would get like 10 likes on it. And then they would all like celebrate how great it was. So then I really started to delve into like media and distribution because I just realized that's where the power is. Mm. And that's probably where all my money has been made is that study of uh, media buying and, and distribution. Mm. Because if you really look at any figure that's done really well, they eventually have to figure that piece out. So that, that was how it was for me, man. It was like, I'm like, okay, I'm a glorified social media person. You know, like my skills are, are requisite with like, you know, the intern. Yeah. Like there's not a great amount of. So let me ask you this. Quantifiable. And, and I did the Kobe thing and, and the Kobe thing was, it was one of the biggest marketing campaigns in the world. Yeah. That year. Yeah quantifiably, it was the biggest marketing campaign. Okay, for people who don't know, when you say the Kobe thing, you're talking about a very specific ad, one of the most viral ads of all time, Kobe versus Messi. Yes. So just if, what, what do people search on Google? And I get, I get sick see. of talking about it. I know, but, but if, they want, if they want to know what you're talking about and they want to go search it on Google, what do they search? Just Kobe versus Messi? Yeah. And they'll find the ad. Yeah. And so... Actually, actually, it's not up anymore because Kobe's um, didn't renew. They don't have mm. They don't have rights to his estate likeness got it because he's gone there's no well i'm sure you can find it somewhere on some back end side but they didn't Someone's renew probably it. Yeah, yeah you can probably find yeah. find it somewhere but that's what you're searching i think for. they had like a five or six year term to mm. use his likeness got it okay so, you, so you're in this glorified scheduler role and you're starting to see though you saw whether it's with the kobe versus messi ad whether it's watching some of the operations at that bigger firm mm-hmm. as you're starting into your own business yeah Marketing has this power. It's a massive form of leverage. Media leverage, the ability to communicate at scale. Uh-huh. It's this massive amplifier. Yeah. So where do you start realizing, hey, if I can wield this leverage, if I can actually move 6,000 people to sign up to an MMA or to an MMA backyard event, if I can yeah. you know, go influence people to massively be interested in this ad that I helped create, what was the big aha moment where you started to see I could do something bigger? I started realizing, I was like, dude, I'm a media hacker. Mm. 
that's what fascinates me. And there was another book. This was in my book reading era. Mm. That's right. <laughs> Which is since long gone. Maybe I need to start reading some books again. Sounds like you, there were some good books if, in the. Maybe if I the, read uh, read a few books, I'll just like do, do, dominate. Um, the right books, maybe. Yeah, there was another book called "Trust Me, I'm Lying: Confessions of a Media Manipulator" by Ryan Holiday. Oh, that book's good. Who has since become a massive success as an author. Um, yeah, I love his writing. But the reason I was so obsessed with him is because at the time he was director of marketing for a clothing brand called American. What is it? American. American some, Apparel or like American uh, Apparel, I think. Or American Eagle. No, it was oh, no, I'm trying to think of any clothing brands. But the clo- that the clothing brand at that time was like pretty pretty big. Okay. I don't know if it's very big anymore. But he was this 25, I think he was like 25, 26, and he was this director of marketing for this company, right? That was his big claim to fame. That was like his moniker. Mm. And but he was also an author, right? But at this time he wasn't really famous cuz the book. He was just like so, so it was just fascinating to me, though, like he, he spray painted billboards for this movie he was promoting that was controversial and, and got the New York Times to write about these billboards being uh, vandalized that he vandalized himself. And I was just like, this is a level of genius that I, I just love when people just break rules and mm-hmm. do slightly shady stuff. I don't know why. It's just so fascinating to me. It's just a rebellious nature against this system that we're all kind of in. Mm. You know, we're in this system that kind of doesn't want us to. Wants you to shut up and obey. Yeah. So whenever people do that and they resist it, to me, it's art. To me, like Ryan Holiday doing that makes him this incredible artist Mm -hmm. who is like, no, I'm not playing by your rules, guys. I'm spray painting. I'm going to vandal. I'm going to go commit a criminal act so I can do this. But not doesn't really hurt, you know, I don't know. But anyways, that was the big moment where I was like, all right, this is the path I'm going to be on. You know, I remember I was at an ad agency as an intern in Atlanta, my last year of college. And I actually had a super viral project there, too. Mm. I created this thing. It was the agency was called IQ Agency. And as an intern, I created this web IQ quiz. I was like some idea I came up with. And at the time, only really like Twitter was popping off. YouTube a little bit. This was like 2011. Yeah. And I put this quiz together because I'm like, I'm an intern that, that, that really doesn't have anything to do. Yeah. Right. My dad was a client of theirs for a while. This was a daddy's favor mm. to get in here. He likes to remind me of this, that my whole career is because he got me an internship for three months in LA for 10 or in Atlanta for 12 bucks an hour. But yeah, this quiz, it like tested how much you knew the internet. And I think it was like the internet's like, it was like some anniversary. But dude, it it went nuts. And um, I reached out to some Twitter influencers. One of them was uh, Robert Scoble. Have you heard of him? He's like the tech guy in Silicon Valley. No. I reached out to all these influencers. and I was like, hey, would you, I'm an intern and I'm really trying to like make my career would you just like retweet this quiz I made? And I was sho- brilliant. I was shocked. They all did it. So this thing went pretty, like it went pretty big. It had like a few hundred thousand page views in like a month. And it was just sick because everyone at that agency was like, what the heck? This intern just like 
made this thing go viral. So it's like I've always been, for some reason, naturally gravitated towards this whole, I don't know what it is. I don't know why I'm so drawn to it. It's like a, I don't know what. Okay, why. so this this is the same thing you did with Forbes. So this is like, there's a pattern here that I'm seeing of different yeah. things that I know about I your journey. I Forbes. Where I should you, never have you, been on that list. It's It's really wielding. I don't even want to call it relationship leverage. I mean, this is this is understanding people that have have leverage already, seeing their media leverage, and then using it to your advantage, finding ways in it's, to capture and, and amplify what you wanted to get done. I hate, to, I hate to admit this, but I'm wondering if I got that from college. Because mm. I was a PR major, so I was okay. too I was too stupid to pass calculus. I didn't even try. I knew I was too stupid to do it. I didn't even try. <laughs> I watched my brother fail calculus twice and I was like, I'm definitely dumber than him. So I'm just not. And my dad was like, also like, Hey man, you're kind of dumb in these areas. Oh man. Sorry. So I love that warm blanket. Of you're just you're not, support. you're just sorry. It's just like when you told me to not trap for football freshman year of high school to like save me from paralysis. Do you know what I mean? He's just like, Hey son, just, this is reality. So I was in the journalism school and public relations, but, but like PR was, 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 was dominating everything in the early two thousands Yeah, because all the journalists were selling out because the, the, the publishing and broadcasting business model was collapsing, mm. right? Because of the internet, because of blogs. So this whole industry was collapsing and it was being replaced by this PR dark side all these journalists were sell. They were all selling out, mm. so they were all taking payments to write stuff, and that's where Crispin Porter exploded. Crispin Porter Bogusky, um, Bogusky himself, Alex Bogusky, is one of the greatest media manipulator geniuses in ever. And he would do these stunts, and they would just get featured like crazy. He did the Ryan Holiday thing, but he just did it through creative and through yeah. stunty stuff. He and his team, and it was right before I got there, were the ones who figured out the Domino's turnaround. Do you remember when Domino's came out and said, our pizza sucks? I don't remember that, no. What happened? It was huge. It was like 2010. Domino's did a Super Bowl ad, and they said, our pizza sucks. Our pizza has sucked for quite a while. It's not good. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but... We have a new recipe. We have, I mean, could you imagine the balls it would take you to take a company that big and to just burn it to the ground on purpose? And it worked. They, they exploded. They're still just dominating. But Bogusky, like, they all, they, Domino's owes 90% of its profits for the last decade to one man mm. and his team, Bogusky. But, like, the PR training, the public relations training, was the training that made my mind think that way. It, so PR very much gets into this idea of how do I get my message out there? How do I capture the leverage that other people have and get a message spread broadly? It's like at the time it was like, how can we create a stunt and how can we take over the conversation? It's kind of like um, the art of pop star. Mm. You know, Kanye West is probably one of the best people at it. He's him and him and Kim are both some of the greatest PR minds ever. Mm. He just he knows 
Uh, Rihanna's good at it too. You know, it's a pop star thing. Gaga's great at it. Yeah. It's just like, what can I do? What can I say to get the attention on me so then I can deliver my message? Gaga's message was about like gender and being accepted and you know what I mean? They yeah. all have like a message. Have you seen the little like conspiracy stuff about Taylor Swift with Travis Kelsey? No. So she's dating. A, do you know who Travis Kelsey yeah, is? Yeah, of course. So she's, she's, well, dating I didn't Travis know Kelsey. who he was until okay, so, Taylor Swift. Okay. So then she shows up the big first big it game. It seems that she, manufactured. That she gets. Wait, wait, hold up. It could Every be. relationship Taylor Swift has had seems manufactured so and you want to talk pop stars great at, at pr she's right up there my theory okay not that anyone in the world cares about my opinion <laughs> there's a strong possibility that taylor swift is a lesbian okay but <laughs> this is just a wild theory okay okay i'll hear it out so she has she has these relationships with guys but they're 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 pr designed she writes songs about this that's, is that's diabolical. It's probably not true. I mean, that's a deep cut. It's probably not true. But I will. T- I'll reach. give you. I'll give you that for sure. She is amazing at PR. And with that being said, the the conspiracy theory is that she was getting a ton of bad press as someone who's very sort of vocal about the climate. Yeah. For how much she flies her private jet, mm-hmm. it was like hundreds of flights a year. Yeah. And so she then got in this relationship <laughs> with Kelsey and goes to the Chiefs Jets game. And is featured all over that game, so that now anytime you search Taylor Swift Jets, instead of seeing all the info about her Jets, you see her at the game, and it totally changed all the Google results. You're kidding me. So people are that's that's like the little conspiracy theory, and whether or not it's true, oh, it is a very convenient little thing. Oh my gosh! <laughs> now I I would bet money that that is true, and the reason is I because mean, Taylor is not a elite vocalist. She is an elite songwriter. Yeah. And she is an elite pop star. But she's a very average vocalist. Yeah, no, that's She has one of the sure. smallest vocal ranges. Yeah, she's it's time. not she's not dazzling with with the vocals. No. But like she when she started when she was young, they signed with a marketing agency. And they have been with that marketing agency her whole career. Mm. And they they print, a lot of people pretty much credit that agency to like a majority of her success. Granted, She's the talent, she's yeah. marketable, and she's a absolute machine. She runs an absolutely massive empire. She's a machine. She's a genius. All of the ways that she gets her fans invested. She does so many things that are above and beyond what most pop stars do to but capture she and has, keep people bought into her story. But she has a PR machine behind her yeah, that's and a marketing very agency powerful. behind her. And I mean, she got in this big feud with her label because the label didn't probably didn't pull the weight that this marketing agency did. Mm. And so, you know, this marketing agency is really the one creating her gravity and the label just doesn't, that's probably why she tried to get out of it and wanted to get out of it. She's just like, I did all this. Yeah. You guys didn't do this, you know, but that is absolutely fascinating. To Whether me. or not that's why she did it. She would take a trip I think it's very interesting. For SEO purposes. It did come together very nicely. And, and Travis Kelsey is got his, he's got his like five seconds of fame. 15. We'll see. We'll see how long it lasts. Maybe they get married. Maybe this is where she settles down, you know? <laughs> All right, Ben. So coming back to you're using this PR. We went on a journey talking about PR. Dude, I, I but, don't know why. I've always been attracted to it. Like in high school, I ran for student vice president. My mom made me run mm-hmm. for student vice president. She forced me. 
I didn't want to. My best, one of my best friends was running. But then once I was in it, I started strategizing and I was in all these marketing clubs. My dad had me in all these marketing, this DECA marketing club. So I was doing like marketing research, 40 page marketing research papers at like 16. That's good. And competing and pitching. So I think that's probably where it started. Mm. Um, But I had this campaign. It was like, I'll, I'll kiss a goat for your vote. And it was a picture of me in, in a goat. And it was the stupidest thing ever, dude. But it worked. And Sometimes then, the stupidest thing ever is what goes viral. So I won, and we had an assembly, and I kissed a goat. And it was the At stupidest. The assembly? Yeah. Oh, that's great. It was the stupidest thing ever. But I've always just been. I don't know. I don't know where it comes from, but yeah. So that starts out. That's one of the ways you got some of your early success. Then you look at uh, how that sort of starts to evolve. You know, there's the thirty Forbes thirty under thirty example. <laughs> For people who don't know that, maybe share a little bit about just the, the the few things that went into that same thing. How did you get that recognition? So so one of my mentors, one of the people I've learned the most from about viral marketing is uh, Cameron Manwaring. He's a peer of mine who is much better at viral marketing than me. Way better. But I'm better at direct response. So mm. Hey, listen, everyone's got their strengths. Uh, and viral marketing died. By the way, it died in about 2018. Okay. That's when all the algorithms shut down because they had so much demand from advertisers um, that they, they shut down virality completely. And the only way you could get reach after that was to pay for it. Okay. So the algorithms were like, is this an ad? If it's an ad or if it's promoting anything, we're shutting it down because they need to pay for this. That whole industry died. Gone. And that's when so I, so I right now with things response. like TikTok and short form, where it's back content, now. It's it's making a resurgence. You would say in the short form video space. Yeah, and it always is. There's always some new platform that's okay. popping off, but then it eventually it ends. Okay. Yeah. Eventually, the 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 platform wants to capture more of the revenue, and so yeah. they try to. I mean, that's clamp part, down. part of the reason I sold Chain Media is I was just exhausted of reinventing an entire company every six months because of algorithms. Yeah. I was just so exhausted of that. Yeah. That's why I wanted a physical asset that just exists and makes money. But where were we at? We were. So we were talking. So so sorry, I took us a little bit away, but just wanted to make sure I understood that point about kind of viral marketing. So the Forbes thing. So uh, Cameron gave me this tip. He's like, "Hey, you just what you need to do is you just need to get the at the uh, the the, uh, judges or whoever's making the decision to just be aware of you, right?" So I reached out to a few of the influencers that I had had in my commercials. And one of my favorites of all time, Laura Clary. She's big Facebook, big time Facebook, TikTok. Just love, she's just a great, lovable, fun person to be around. Um, and she, she tweeted it. And it was so cool that she would do that. And all these influencers um, that I asked to do that, they did it. And what did they tweet? They just tweeted my nomination and uh, I filled out my own. You have to get nominated. Someone has to nominate you. Okay. And so I asked Laura, I was like, Laura, can I nominate myself with your name on it? You're busy. You don't have time to nominate. You don't have time to fill out this form. And I was like, and no one's going to nominate me because truth is no one gives a shit about you. Yeah. About anyone. Yeah. No one gives a shit about anyone. Everyone's worried about themselves. No one's going to nominate you for this Forbes list. And I'll tell you, 90% of the people on that list 
nominated themselves. Yeah. One way or another. Yeah. And I mean, they made it happen. They they had to care enough to go try to make yeah, it happen. There's so many people out there who are like, okay, if I'm just like really good at what I do, the world is gonna all of a sudden pay attention to me, right? If I'm they like, hope, they believe. If I'm just like really good at this one art form, if I'm really good at like music, if I'm really, no, the world does not care about you, yeah, and how good you are. <laughs> it just doesn't. You, you have to mix the talent with the marketing. Yes, you have to have the reach. And, and go actually get it, make I, people aware of it so they can care about it. I fought that for so long. I was like, I had, I had this Kobe project, one of the biggest marketing campaigns of all time. I was right at the beginning. I was right at the center of it. I was writing the checks, wrote two and a half million dollars in checks to make this thing happen <laughs> with no permission, really. <laughs> like, almost should have gotten fired. And uh, no one cared. No one cared, man. It was a vacuum. And... The, the, even the executives, they sent a company-wide email and they're like, congratulations to the team. Um, your $3.5 million YouTube campaign outperformed the $21 million, $21 million YouTube, uh, sorry, the $21 million TV campaign by 3X. Mm-hmm. 3X. For like, but that was it. And I didn't get an award either. So everyone on that team got a, grand, a Can Gold Lion Grand Prix Award. That's like the top, uh, that's the top advertising award you can get. I, I can. Can. Yes. At the can. In France. In France. Yes. You go to France, you get this. So why didn't you get an award? Because, um, because I was uh, in, in media. I was on the media team. Mm. And like media buyers. So like the creatives got the award and you yeah. don't, essentially. Yeah. Then I was in the meeting and was like, guys, let's do the selfie shootout. The selfie is the 2016 Oxford Dictionary Word of the Year. This is the most relevant cultural thing that is happening right now is the selfie. It's a cultural phenomenon. And Boguski's Boguski's gospel was we hijack cultural uh, phenomenon and we we intersect ourselves into that conversation. Mm. So I was like, we're going to hijack the selfie. Kobe and Messi are going to take selfies. And the creatives took this idea, right? They made it way better. I couldn't have sold it. I didn't, I wasn't a creative at this point. Yes. I didn't see myself as a creative, right? And that bothered me. But um, they took it and they sold it and we did it. And, but yeah, I didn't even get an award, dude. Like there was a account manager and account managers really are glorified uh, meeting schedulers. At least they were at CPB. They didn't really do anything, right? Uh-huh. There was a couple account managers who I know for sure spent less than four or five hours on that project, and they got Can Lion Awards. Oh, my gosh. Grand Prix. And I was just like, what the? And then after that, this campaign goes and ends, and I get a little bit of backlash. Like, the legal team comes in, and they're like, hey, you signed all this shit without our permission. Xbox just got sued for not like following FTC guidelines on ad disclosures. And I was like, oh, well, you know what's great? We did ad disclosures in every single ad because we're not idiots. So we're not going to get sued. And we didn't. There you go. Because <laughs> we did it right. But anyways, but that was it. There was a vacuum after that. And a few months went by and nothing happened. Yeah. Like... No, and I wasn't expecting like a promotion or anything like that. 
but really nothing happened. Yeah. And I was like, no one even knows I was a part of this. No one has any clue that I was involved in this at all. Wow. And I was like, when am I going to have Turkish Airlines walk in and say, we want to make the most viral ad of all time? And I was like, I am not going to be in the position for any of those opportunities ever again. Mm-hmm. And that's when 20th Century Fox reached out, you know, because um, they had seen it because I was getting like 30 likes on my LinkedIn posts. And I wrote, I actually wrote a LinkedIn post. It was like the, the backstory, the secret backstory behind Kobe and Messi. And I just like you took that now mainstream phenomenon and you injected yourself back into it. I injected myself into it. I wrote the whole thing about how we did it. And at this point I wasn't at CPB anymore. And they actually, uh, they actually had a meeting about whether or not they should sue me for that. Mm. My old boss, who was great. His name was uh, Ivan Amendares Paris. Greatest guy, dude. Made my whole career. I owe that guy everything. He literally pulled me in a room. I owe your dad everything because he got you the internship. My, my dad, though. Yeah. yeah my make, dad. Sure, make sure he gets his. Dude. My dad's privilege. <laughs> but, like, uh, Ivan pulled me into a room and he's like, dude, I hired you to be like the viral expert mm. here. And this is your moment. So you're not going to talk. He literally was like, we're not going to talk to legal. <laughs> We're not going to talk to the media buying team. We're not going to talk to anyone. We're going to do this in complete secret. And 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 I'm going to let you sign checks, but you're also going to take all the blame if anything goes wrong. <laughs> <laughs> like a savage. But but when it came down to it, he actually did defend me. And it, it just all worked out. Like nothing bad happened. But anyways, when I wrote this LinkedIn article that probably like a thousand people read, maybe. Got like 40 likes, maybe. Yeah, they almost, they th- they actually had a conversation about whether they should sue me or not for just like. And they didn't probably because it's probably hard to do. Like what, what did you do that was illegal? Like are they, they, well, they didn't confidentiality do it because, or well, they didn't do it libel or like, what are you really going to say here? They didn't do it. Cause I'm just a guy. Yeah. There's nothing. I don't have any money. Yeah. Like what, what is the, what they they're going to spend like? 40 grand suing me and, th- and they're going to get nothing, nothing. Yeah. So they're like, uh, it's not worth it. But yeah, so so by leaving, right, by leaving and starting my own thing, I was like, all right, like maybe if I really somehow bamboozled somebody, I can get a job for like 110 grand mm. in LA, maybe. And 20th Century Fox offered me 120. And when I got that offer, I was like, holy crap, 120? That's so much money. I'm rich now. I'm rich. That's rich, dude. 120 at 25? Yeah, man, that's the real deal. Well, how much is that now? What's 120 now? Oof, I don't know. I don't like playing the inflation games. Maybe but 180? More. 180? Much more. Yeah. So it is a lot of money. Yeah, it's, it's not, not nothing. It's not a lot of money in LA. Yeah, in, in LA, it's 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 less. But when sure. you're 25 and you're not like a Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley like software engineer. Yep. Right? You're just a stupid PR guy with a journalism degree with no real skills whatsoever. Yeah. That's a lot of money. Yeah, I know. There's nothing to be ashamed of, but so, it's, it's always funny to me to look back and see how your paradigm changes over time. So what this, what this whole conversation really comes down to is leverage. Yes. Because that's what this podcast is about. It's leverage. And I could not get leverage as an employee. Mm. I could not leverage this massive campaign that dude, I was the Kobe messy guy for years. 
over and over and over and over. Yeah, Kobe Messi, Kobe Messi, Kobe Messi, everywhere. I mean, you know, like you said, no one else is going to give a crap. You have to make yourself relevant. And so what, whatever you achieve, whether it was Kobe Messi, yep. whether it was subsequent ads that Chamber Media mm-hmm. blew up for these big brands, yep. you have to, the difference between never growing mm-hmm. and growing massively yeah. is your ability to take that and go tell that story in a way that creates leverage. And so you were able to go out and say, look, I'm the guy that did this. I can do this for your company. Mm-hmm. And now I can capture some of the reward and have some of the upside because I can create these outcomes for you. I think it's really difficult to make a lot of money by like following rules. I broke, I broke so many rules. Here's a problem though, Spencer. This is the problem that we're in right now because you're an investor in Chamber Stays. Yep. And we are in a tough spot with finishing these hotels. The problem is I have always been rewarded for reckless and like disorderly behavior, <laughs> disorderly conduct. Yeah. Has almost always been, been given me a reward. I think I think it's because you've operated in marketing, and there's, there's a direct media. correlation in the media. My job is to, to do that. that. My job is to do that. But that's not the best way to build operations. <laughs> no, it's, it's not the best way to build massive-based so business. So that's how so I've approached. So, but this, you're learning those lessons. I'm learning and, those and, lessons. And, and, and that is part of the evolution. We're going to get to that. In fact, let's make that transition because we only have a little bit more time here. So but The point is, it's it's leverage. And if, if you're listening to this and you're an employee... You have leverage if you're an executive. Your your executives they have uh, they have a lot of performance pay. You've yeah. done a really good job with your structure with your yeah. execs. They have leverage. They have a say. They have a long term lever bar. Yeah. Right. And I would say in most companies. If you want to move up and the higher you move up, those are higher leverage positions. You are able to work through other people. You're compensated not just on your own results, but on the results of other people. You're able to make, you know, budgetary decisions and things that have much larger outcomes. And so you thus are able to earn more and, and get more responsibility. And I, I I don't I don't know if I could say this accurately, but I would say if someone is not thinking that they're going to get into a position like that by the time they're in their early 30s entrepreneurship's the route to go. If if there's someone know, who wants that though, because I do think there I have found people who should not be entrepreneurs. Just shouldn't be entrepreneurs. It's, it's, just are they they the things they value and what they want out of life. So this is specifically for yes. people that are ambitious and that want yes. these high leverage type opportunities. This is for like extreme A type personalities yeah. who get a rush from having their backs against the wall. Yeah. Fellow cortisol addicts. <laughs> so to the cortisol club let's uh you need I'm to either rec- be on entrepreneurship or I'm you need to be in high leverage executive type roles i'm a recovering cortisol addict like i'm going to therapy just to learn how to not use cortisol yeah <laughs> i mean that's important yeah. but, but listen so so let's look at that right we talked about how you gained all this leverage with chamber media this is a common pattern i see in entrepreneurs and I, I bet you've seen this as well which is you built that success first on labor leverage and then on technological and media leverage. Like yeah. those those were sort of the leverage you were using. Mm-hmm. And we talked about how you used the media leverage. We talked about, mm-hmm. we didn't talk a ton about how you built your team, but mm-hmm. safe to say you built a team that what, when you sold, I think it was 60, 100 people, something like that. I mean, 100. Had, yeah, 100 people. So you had you had to learn how to organize. It was, it was 100 people and about 70 people who deserved to be there. That's I'll fair. Put it that way. That's fair. So, but needless <laughs> to say, you had to, you had to organize yeah. the people and learn how to get results yes. through them. And then you know, that produced the money to where you had financial leverage. Mm-hmm. And so as you exited that business, you sold that business. Yeah. Now, yeah. now I might add, you continue to make money and had 
certain benefits even post sale from that because of the leverage you had in terms of the reach of your social and, and your they ability kind to of can't cut that. me off yeah so they still pay me they still pay me a salary i still have health insurance so there, there are there are benefits that you got long term post sale, not just the money, because of the amount of leverage you built in your personal brand tied to that company. I mean, I, now that you say it, like Chamber Media still pays for my mortgages. I mean, even post sale, and that's very interesting, right? And I don't not all I, I very few entrepreneurs, I would say, are in that scenario. After I don't sell. I don't really do anything. Yeah, I have a call. I talk to like the president of it a lot. Sure, but that's it. But so that, 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 that they're using, to your point, they, they, every ad they're running, maybe 50%, 60% of the ads they're running are, have my face in it. Yeah. So, so there's leverage you've built that they still need. So it's like, if they cut me off, then it's like, well, can we still use his, his stuff? You know? Yeah. It gets so. tricky. So then, so then you then find yourself in the domain of financial leverage, which is, all right, now I have a bunch of money. Yes. And, and that, I have to deploy that. that and was, that's super challenging. Talk about going through that process. So my biggest fumble of my career. We biggest, have six minutes. So we're going to we're gonna. Biggest fumble of this. my career is being horrible at asset. What, is, what do you call it? Asset deployment. Deploy, yeah, deploying capital. I had all this money. Did not think that that was going to happen. Yeah. Company, it sells. I get a text one morning and it says, check your bank account. I open my bank account. There's six and a half million dollars sitting there. Now, how many people does that happen to in a life? There's a lot of people who make six million dollars over a lifetime. Yeah. There's a lot of people who make a million dollars a year. But how often and statistically does someone just get six and a half million dollars? All at once. All at once. Which is funny because I never and, and I want to highlight a couple things on this that people probably don't know. Yeah. Company sold for was valued at what seventeen million. So seventeen roughly? million, it was twelve million cash, but they required a three million dollar reinvestment. Yep. So that was a pass through. Yep. To retain twenty percent because that's their model. Yep. They always want the founder to still own a piece. Yep. And so it was nine million cash. Stefan got two and a half million. Yep. Co-founder. And executive. and then there was like a half a million of escrow. Which okay. they ended up taking most of that. Okay. They found they found various accounting ways to take most of that, and then we never got earn out because we they didn't hit they didn't hit the goals, which is there was a. That's huge a whole other conversation for another day, and, and maybe we'll have another podcast and talk just some so, business. But but the point I wanted to make for people chunk, is like, and I people had no hear, ability to leverage. I had no ability to leverage that money. People hear that you sold a company and it's like, oh, I sold a company for $17 million, And they think you have $17 million. No. There's the number it sells for. Yeah. There's how much of that you end up with. Yeah. Then there's post-tax. Like, yeah. what does it end up? And how much yeah. is in the account? Yeah. There's a, that's a lot that yeah, I just yeah, want I mean, people six, to be familiar with. Yeah, $6.5 million really is like three and a half. Yeah, after taxes. You, if you pay full tax on it. It's, so that's where you found yourself. You started looking at ways. How did, do I minimize that tax? Burden? I made like two really, really good choices. And mm-hmm. then I made a lot of really bad choices. That's, that's where it goes. The best choice I made was putting money into an opportunity zone and building these hotels. Yep. And if I had done it all over again, what I would have done is I would have put all, I probably would have put like 4 million in the opportunity zone. Mm. Right. And because that's an immediate delayment, delay, uh, deferment of tax liability. Yeah. And you could pay the taxes whenever you want. So you could pay, if you decide you're not going to use it in two years, then you could go pay the capital gains on it if you want. 
but I would have taken the other two million, and I would have purchased some kind of uh, security with it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't do that because the stock market was at an all-time high, mm-hmm. and uh, real estate was an all-time high. And every financial advisor I met with had no idea what to do. Yeah, they gave me a list of stocks and stuff to get into, and I was and I was it was appalling to me that they had no playbook for this one month, this one year period that happens every 10 years. So, and I was arrogant and I didn't trust anybody. And so the biggest problem I had is I had no income. Yeah. When you have no income, you have no leverage. Yeah. No one will lend to you. And because of my house and my lake house, like I was the richest poor guy in America. Yeah. And I went to the bank. I'm like, hey guys, I just made six and a half million dollars. I spent $50,000 designing this home. It's a $2 million home. I'd like to get a loan on it. And they're like, no, no way in hell. Are we going to loan you money? Yeah. You have no income. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I do. I have $6 million. No, 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 no. You sold that company. You no longer have income. Yeah. And so if the I had- rules, this goes back to the rules. If I, if I had bought most, $2 million- Most of the time in, breaking the rules helps you. Yeah. There are some times where the rules are set up to help you. And, and the rules of being an employee and- having just a st- stable job or an income, all of the leverage that the government backs and helps you, you know, has created this whole system around loaning you money for homes. Mm-hmm. There are a few areas like that where as soon as you flip the script, yep. you're playing with you, a, a deck that's stacked against you. You don't want to try to media hack finance. Yeah, that, that doesn't, that's and, not the same barrel. And I tried to like get this creative rush mm. off of it, but it doesn't freaking work that way. Money doesn't care. But bunch of boring money people. Doesn't care. Yep. And so if I had bought like, say, $2 million in securities, right, well, I wouldn't have paid any tax on the $4 million in the opportunity zone. And on the $2 million, I, I would have paid like six grand, six hundred grand or something. But if I had $1.5 million in securities, like even if it was bonds or literally anything, I could go loan above that. Yes. Right? I could be like, hey, here's my – or I could have just bought like the most boring stock ever. Like yeah. I, I could have bought – so one of those, or I could have bought gold. I could have bought anything. And then I could have leveraged that. Yeah. And instead of, I mean, it was hard because the opportunities I had to use that money on building. Yeah. You have to, you have to buy the property and then you have to spend double that improving it. If you want to write off your capital gains taxes and yeah. then you have to hold it for like 10 years. Yeah. And the program runs out in seven years, but they're probably going to renew it. So when it comes to like all of these points of leverage that I figured out along the way, right? Leverage as far as uh, media, leverage as far as like breaking rules, leverage as far as like innovation and creativity. I got to the finance piece and the asset allocation. None of that. None of that. Whole different game. Different game. New lessons to learn. And that's why I'm so stoked for you is you're so focused on what do you call it? Capital deployment. Yeah. So you're preparing yourself for that that ability to do that and you're already doing it with chamber stays but uh i just i miss that mountain but once again though here's the question is my recklessness going to have roi probably i bet on it in fact i did i bet a lot of money on it so you bet a lot of money on that so and and on a on a, on a weird note like i look at elon and like tesla yeah he was so boned I yeah, guess he man. was a week away from bankruptcy, right? Yeah. He had a week to go find money. Now, what's interesting is I'm talking to this developer right now. 
who wants to create a fund around chamber stays. Yeah. And he wants to go, he says it's a billion dollar idea. A hundred million dollars. I believe him. It's, it's massive. But he told me, he's like, dude, about, you know, his fund has done 23% return for 10 years in a row. It's incredible. Which puts him probably in top 5%. But 10 years ago, he's like, dude, I had, uh, I had six weeks to come up with a million and a half dollars or I was done. He's like, so the position you're in, I've been in it. Yeah. So I don't know, man. I just, this, this whole topic of this, this episode is basically like, what is the ROI of recklessness? And that, when is it appropriate? That's one theme when is recklessness appropriate? And when is it a leverage? And when is it a massive liability? The thing is, this is the, the whole goal behind what, this podcast though, is that people need to learn how to use leverage, the different types of leverage. Yeah. And you can think, oh, I've got it mastered just because I have one area. And in reality, there's still so much more to learn. That's why I started this podcast is I love learning from people and their experiences on mm. the subject because mm. it's a lifelong pursuit. Mm. And, you know, this investor that we're talking to, this is a guy who we're going to learn a ton from. Yeah. He, he has a massive skill set yeah. on the financial side, on the funding side. And, and there's so much to learn. He's learned how to wield that financial leverage better than you or I could dream of. We're going to learn a ton from him. He's he's but teaching me you discipline. have to constantly bring in those people, different yeah. people, and get those lessons because no one, and if they're telling you that they've mastered it all, they're, they're full of themselves. Yeah. So that's the journey we're on. Thank you so much for sharing the lessons Thanks, you've bro. learned so far. You're the man. We'll do it again soon, man. Okay. Hey, before you go, I have a small request. Our mission is to empower as many people as possible to maximize their potential through the power of leverage. Could you help us in this mission by leaving a review on iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube? And if you know just one person who would benefit from today's episode, would you please share it with them? Your support means the world to us, and we are thrilled to have you in the community. Thank you for being a part of our journey and helping us grow. You can find show notes for today's show and past shows at LessonsInLeverage.com, which also has links to connect with me personally and connect with our various podcast channels across your favorite social networks. A big thanks to Solve.Cloud who sponsored this episode. They're a group of expert consultants that help SaaS and financial services companies to implement, optimize, and manage Salesforce.com. They can help you with custom integration solutions and are helping customers to implement some of the most important generative AI technologies. You can find them at solved.cloud. That's S-O-L-V-D dot cloud is the URL. Thanks again, and we'll talk soon.